The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in cold, rainy Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night. It is the ninth day of January 2022. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is with us across the way, as always. I'm happy to welcome you aboard tonight, the first show of the new year. And on our schedule for tonight, leading off, we'll talk to former Mets pitcher Steve Traxel. Steve will be with us. And then we'll welcome in former New York Nets guard, a member of the Nets ABA Championship Clubs, Brian Taylor will be with us. So just sit back, relax, get comfortable, enjoy Sports Talk New York tonight on GBB. As always, we got some great people, some great sports talk, and some great memories up ahead tonight for you. As always, social media. We're on Facebook. We are on LinkedIn. We are on Twitter. We are on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. You can follow me on Twitter at B Donahue WGBB. And all of the shows that you might have missed, they're out there on the website. Don't worry. You can listen to them at your leisure. Well, our first guest, he was a pitcher for the Cubs. The Devil Rays, the Blue Jays, of course the Mets, and the Baltimore Orioles between 93 and 2008. He was an all-star in 1996. And September 18, 2006, we'll talk to him about this. One of the best performances of the season as the Mets clinched the National League Eastern Division Championship. It's great to welcome to the show tonight Steve Traxel. Steve, good evening. Good evening, Bill. Hey, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you with us, Steve. Now, you grew up in California. Who were your favorite teams and players when you were a kid? I started out as a Dodgers fan, so uh had that, you know, that mid-70s infield with Garvey, Logan, oh, yeah. Russell, and Say, and Yeager, you know, Dusty Baker, and left. And then uh, we moved to Orange County, and we had uh, Nolan Ryan with the Angels, Brian Downing, Bobby Gritch, so... Those were my two teams growing up, and then uh, you know, spent my entire career and uh, towards the east, uh, east coast there, and uh, you know, got to learn a lot of history about the other teams out there. Never got to know, see them on TV too much in California. Right. Well, right off the bat, I'm going to ask you, uh, Steve, what do you think of the hiring of Buck Showalter as the new Mets skipper? I definitely like it. Yeah, um, I, I, I think he's a old school baseball guy. Uh, I'm sure he got a little bit of the. Uh, introduction to analytics uh you know last few years by being on tv so uh, mm-hmm. hopefully you know he can embrace that a little bit not too much but uh you know i'm still an old school baseball type guy so i like having managers that uh you know like to do hit and runs and, and are more of a players type guy instead of just running the numbers on a computer Right, definitely, and I don't think we could afford to have another guy learning on the job, Steve. We had uh, Luis Rojas, uh, a new guy, and before that, Mickey Calloway, who was a disaster uh, in more ways than one, and I think Buck uh, was 
the hire to make, and and they did that. And uh, hopefully they'll be playing baseball soon. Uh, yeah, I think they'll be playing. Yeah, definitely. Buck's not got nothing to learn, and uh, you know I think he's going to be more about teaching than anything else. So I think uh, a lot of these guys will learn quite a bit this year, hopefully through spring training, about uh, you know how the game used to be played and how to play it and to, and to win to win ball games. Mm-hmm. Now, you went to Long Beach State, Steve, so you were a dirtbag. I was a dirtbag, still am a dirtbag. There you go. Dirtbag, absolutely. <laughs> so for, for those folks here on the East Coast that may be unfamiliar, the Long Beach State baseball team is known as the Dirtbags, and lovingly called that. That's the name. Go to the website. You can order a shirt that says Long Beach State Dirtbags. It's it's tremendous. And uh, how were your days out at Long Beach State, Steve? Oh, days at Long Beach were great. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dave Dave Snow was our head coach there, and uh, was a great pitching guy. You know, coached in the Olympics uh, prior to me getting there, and uh, just really learned a lot about pitching and the game. Uh, you know that that year, 1991, um, tremendous success for that team, all the way to the College World Series. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't win the whole thing, but uh, you know that was that was the goal, and got to pitch in a lot of big games to to help get us there. And uh, I think we had nine guys drafted off that team, so we had a really great squad. Uh, Jason Giambi, I'm sure we all know in New York, was uh, my third baseman. You know, mm-hmm. skinny little guy can run and move and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> turn into. Big power hitting guy. I mean, you know, was always hitting 400 in college, and then uh, carried that all the way through. But um, yeah, no, love, love Long Beach State. Outstanding. Well, name us, Steve, if you would, somebody in the minors or even the majors, somebody, a coach, a manager who made a difference in your career. Oh boy, gosh, there's so many. Um, probably two two pitching coaches that really stand out bill early was the guy i had in a ball and uh he got promoted to double a and he uh kind of stuck his neck out to to get me on that double a team and uh learned a lot from him um i struggled early to start that year but uh, they stuck with me and we, we went into triple a together as well fortunately he never got an opportunity to coach in the big leagues and another guy from the both from the Cubs organization was a who's still been around for a long time, Rick Kranitz. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had him in the minor leagues, had him a little bit in the big leagues, and uh, obviously he's, you know we all know what he's been doing for for many many years as a pitching coach in the big leagues, and uh, I think believe still in Atlanta to come back again and you know try to win their their his next ring. But uh, hopefully I think the the Mets will take that away from them this year. Hopefully, Steve. Yeah. Oh <laughs> man, we've been, we've been waiting a long time. <laughs> Now, you made your Major League debut September 19, 1993, against Florida. Uh, you took the loss, but you remember that game? I remember oh, just about everything about that game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, against the against the Marlins there. Um, yeah, I can tell you exactly my first four batters. My first inning was a, was a car, fly out to center field. Brett Barbary ground out to second base. Jeff Conine taking a 3-1 fastball into the left center bleachers for a homer. Oh, man. <laughs> Arrestus Destrada for uh, my first strikeout and uh, my first complete inning. So, uh, yeah, I got a base hit, my first at bat, first pitch I saw in the big leagues. Ended up losing that game. 
on a squeeze bunt with Alex Arias. So, uh, yeah, there's so many, a lot of good things in that game, and a couple bad ones, but yeah, I'll never forget it. Well, I wanted to ask you, Steve, we see so many times guys, their first base hit, they're calling for the ball, the coach gets it, they throw it into the dugout. Do you still have yours? Oh, yeah, still have that okay. ball. Yep, it's, it's on a shelf in uh, in my little office there, and mm-hmm. uh, next to my all-star ball and a couple other baseballs, a um, couple, my first homer, all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, they did the typical, you know, fake like they were throwing it in the crowd, and then... Uh, Doctored up a different baseball and spelled my name wrong. <laughs> you know, think it says, the usual. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think I have that ball too. Yeah, I think it says, we were playing the Florida Fish and Chris Hammock was pitching instead of Chris Hammond and all that. Oh man, I got both those balls side by side. These guys. We're speaking with Steve Traxel tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, when you were with the Cubs, Steve, it was kind of unfair. Uh, they they were comparing you to Greg Maddox. <laughs> Yeah, that was a little unfair, uh, a little bit unneeded pressure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was hoping he was going to be there because uh, I was in AAA his final year, and uh, obviously that was a great Cy Young year, and I was able to talk with pitchers that had gone up and down, and it was almost like having a second pitching coach, you know, in the big leagues with him there. And the guys were coming back and saying how much they learned, and, yeah, unfortunately he left uh, Atlanta, and I got called up, and I think it was the second or third day you know the of the next year and the reporters came down and said oh what's it like taking greg maddox's spot yeah <laughs> it just never really dawned on me until that that moment when it was asked and uh yeah i was just like oh thanks for all that unneeded impossible pressure 22 <laughs> year old kid taking over for cy young yeah somebody asked me today on facebook steve that uh greg maddox he pitched to something like 21,000 batters, and he went to 3-0 and on only like 130 of those guys. And I think like uh, 52 of them or something crazy like that were intentional walks. Yeah. Oh, I mean, man. If, if, that's a true, if that's that is true, I mean, that's just completely uh, you know, amazing. Yeah. It's, it's inhuman. It, and it's, it's like it, having three, you know, over 3,000 strikeouts and under 1,000 walks. I mean, 3-to-1 ratio is just... You know, mind-boggling as well. Uh, he's a professor. That that's certainly true. Now, <laughs> what we have to talk about, Steve, is I'll call it deliberate. You were very deliberate uh, each time you threw the baseball, and I'm sure you've heard it for years. Uh, I've spoken to Mike Hargrove, uh, the former manager of of the uh, Cleveland Indians, because he was termed the human rain delay because of his his mechanics at the plate. Talk a little bit about why you were so deliberate before you threw the baseball. Um, you know, it wasn't really something that I was conscious of. Okay. Um, that was, I guess that was probably the biggest crux in trying to correct it was in my head anyway, you know, visualizing before the pitch and all of that. All of that thing felt like it was happening in, in microseconds. And, uh, in reality, obviously, that's not what was happening. So um, it got to a point where um, Charlie Huff and I sat down in spring training. I might have been 02 or 03, and uh, we watched a little tape, and I could actually time it and see how how slow it actually was. And, and this was obviously something I had been battling with probably my last couple of years in Chicago. It's definitely no, it was a, uh, something I was going through in Tampa, but it never been really addressed until I got to New York and. Uh, yeah, I would have Charlie with a stopwatch in spring training, and 
you know, he would be timing me and all that. And instead of coming in and in between innings and talking about, you know, what would happen in the inning, we were talking about how many seconds and such it was taking um, between pitches. And uh, we we got better, but it never got great. Um, I was never going to be accused of being like a Glendon Rush, who <laughs> was just yeah. rapid fire. But, uh, yeah, it was just something... For some reason, in my head, it was going much quicker, and in reality, it wasn't. And I can't really pinpoint when it actually finally, you know, first started. Um, I know I didn't start out that way in my big league career. Um, like I said, I got other baseballs in there showing two-hour and fifteen-minute ball games. So yeah, um, right. So yeah, it's just one of those weird things that I think just kind of manifested over, you know, over time, and uh, was very difficult to improve on. And the improvement was, you know, so little it was even still over three hours so okay yeah we'll take that now well, nowadays you know three hour five minute game is quick that, that is yeah <laughs> it's it's murderous i know and you have uh commissioner manfred uh coming up with these these sick ideas that they're, they're working on in the minor leagues and uh Geez, he's uh, he's terrible for baseball steve that yeah, that's it, that's the way i feel to watch yeah <laughs> Now let's talk about game one six three in uh, nineteen ninety eight. You, you uh, pitched a victory over the Giants in the wild card tiebreaker. Now, what was it like uh, in Wrigley with all those people cheering for you? We we always hear about the the fans in, in Wrigley Field. Give us a little insight into that. Yeah, well, I think the big thing of that game too, besides just the fans inside the stadium, was the fans outside the stadium. Ah. Yeah, they were they were estimating another sixty to seventy thousand outside the stadium, oh, man. and you could hear them as well. You know, just because you know the Sheffield and Clark are right there on the other side of the wall, and uh, yeah, the electricity of that night um, was up until that point was beyond anything I had I had ever experienced. Um, obviously, it was just you know a huge year with you know with the Maguire Sosa thing going on it was the year Harry Carey had passed away so the fans were you know even more you know vested in that game based on that um yeah but just the the overall electricity of the entire city really started to feel that the day before the game and uh i mean just every single pitch the entire you know I think Wrigley was holding 43,000 and and every one of them seemed to be a Cubs fan and they were every pitch they were on pins and needles. So uh, up until that point, yeah, definitely one of the biggest games, if not the biggest game I've ever pitched in my career. Yeah, true fans in that Cathedral of Baseball, Wrigley Field, folks. We're talking to Steve Traxel tonight on the program. Now, your All Star Game appearance and uh, the first shutout, I believe, of of your career, a one hit game against Houston, and the only hit you surrendered was a leadoff hit. Yeah, Leo, backwards no hitter, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I didn't even realize it since, you know, the first, I think it might have been the first pitch of the game, you know, double down the third base line. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't even until seventh, eighth inning that I realized that was the only hit of the game. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a solid year for me. Um, I'd been a little inconsistent the year before, so I was really looking to bounce back and, uh, yeah, being able to go to the All Star Game that year um, as the only Soul Cubs player was was just amazing. Um, you know, getting to hang out with all the guys that uh, you know that you consider you know superstars that you want to be with. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, we talk about Greg Maddox and Tom Glavine. I mean, remember sitting in the clubhouse and playing cards with those guys, and <laughs> I just think of myself sitting at the table. It's like, 
what am I doing at this table? <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, John Smoltz was even there too. So we had what, six or seven Cy Youngs at that time. Yeah. Sitting at the table and my 24 year old butt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> Not bad, Steve. Not bad. Yeah. It was, now, it was a quick, quick one inning. I got the pitch. I think I threw 60 pitches in the bullpen. Uh, Todd Hundley was my catcher, warmed me up in the bullpen and, yeah, the inning was over. It felt like before I started. I threw only through seven pitches, and the inning was over. And and you came through it. Yeah, well, the, another great highlight in your career. Now, another one I saw it the other morning on uh, on the MLB channel with, with uh, McGuire hitting his sixty second home run. People may remember that when Steve, Steve gave that one up. That was the home run that he, of course, broke Roger Maris's record in nineteen ninety eight. And that was the one that left the the park in like uh, two seconds. It was a line drive, uh, hit the top of the wall and came back uh, over the uh, yellow line. Uh, what did you throw him there, Steve? Uh, it was supposed to be a fastball, kind of sink down and in, and uh, it just it didn't sink. Uh, kind of stayed inner third instead of inner corner, and uh, yeah, like you said, it was a. Probably the fastest home run he hit that year. It was definitely the shortest, maybe the shortest of his career. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, that's, you know, that whole year was just was just insane. You know, with you know what Mark and Sammy were both doing, and uh, you know, being able to watch, watch Sammy, what he did in June, and the number of reporters that were following us around was was just crazy. And uh, you know, it was the first time you know we were in a pennant race with the Cubs as well. Never mind the fact it's Cubs Cardinals. You know, that one of the biggest rivalries in baseball. So. Uh, yeah, we were trying to get ourselves into the postseason, and obviously we didn't want to be the team to to give up the record-breaking, record-tying, you know, home run. But mm-hmm. and he hit the one the day before off of Mike Morgan, and uh, yeah, I said, okay, well, it's going to be on tomorrow. Let's uh, keep him from doing it and win us a ball game, get us into the postseason. And uh, unfortunately, that day, none of that happened. <laughs> right? Yeah, but uh, memorable nonetheless. The Marises were on hand. Uh, yep. Kind of tainted now as we look back, but uh, those guys are going to have to be reckoned with sooner or later when uh, Cooperstown comes a call in the Veterans Committee, and uh, only time will tell, right, Steve? Uh, well, what will yeah, happen? I, I mean, I'm a, I'm firmly in that camp. If uh, you, know, you cheated, you're out. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a lot of conversations with Tom Seaver about it. You know, he he was. Oh, he was adamant, Seaver. Yeah, adamant. Yeah, even more so than me. But I, I, I understand it completely. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of weird how it goes in circles. You know, um, I was in New York for a charity event when uh, I guess Mark finally admitted to using. So it kind of blew up again for about two weeks, and then it went away again. And then uh, the ESPN show came out, and it, so for like two months, I was you know kind of was doing all kinds of interviews and talks about it, and. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I guess maybe here in a few more years, when the votes start coming in one way or the other from the Veterans Committee, you know, I'm sure it'll get talked about a lot more again. Certainly, that's certainly true. Now, you came to the Mets in 2001 after the Subway Series. You missed that, uh, and um, they sent you down, Steve. How did you feel about that? Um, it was kind of a mutual decision. Um, okay. Yeah. So. So. I, yeah, I got off to an unbelievably horrible start. Um, you know, I had been wanting to come to New York for a couple of years. Uh, Steve Phillips tried to get there, get me there in 2000. Um, I wasn't able to work out. And, uh, you know, I got to give him a lot of credit for being honest with us 
you know, as a free agent, that uh, it was going to be his first phone call in 2001, and uh, that we got something done pretty quick. And, uh, yeah, I just basically got hit around like I had never been hit around in my career, and I thought I was prepared for New York, and obviously I wasn't. So, um, yeah, we sat down with uh, with Bobby V and, and Steve Phillips and kind of came up with a plan to, one, most importantly, probably to, to get me out of New York just so I could clear my head. You know, I just was, had right. never been, you know, in that situation with uh, the media, you know, co- constantly being around, and I had a hard time dealing with it. And, uh, yeah, went down for 19 days, or at least that was going to be the plan. Um, I wasn't going to go down for longer than that. Figured to go down, make three starts. Hopefully they'd all be good, and I'd be back. And, yeah, I think it went down, like my, threw a no-hitter, I think my second start, which was just That's crazy. That's right, and, yeah. yeah. And I, I wasn't even off the field yet, and the PR, PR people from, uh, I guess it was what, Norfolk Tides at the time, had a Jay Horowitz from the Mets on the phone, had, had an interview set up with me with all the interview, all the reporters in, in New York. Wow. And I was like, Jay, I thought I was down here to, to get away from the press and clear my head. <laughs> and he's like, unfortunately, we just put on the big screen at Shea that you threw a no-hitter, so we're kind of stuck on it now. So, oh, man. Um, but yeah, I was just went down there and just kind of cleared my head, worked on some basic mechanical stuff. Um, I, I guess I'd been tipping some pitches a little bit, so was working on that. And uh, yeah, it, I think it really helped me uh, turn things around and carry me back through the rest of that year. And they, they re-signed you for a, a second, the second go around. And uh, in 2006, you tied Glavin for the team lead with 15 wins. And uh, how about that game? Uh, I think it was six and a third. You pitched three hits uh, in a four nothing win over the Marlins uh, for the NL East championship. Yeah, the clinches. Yeah, that was. Um, it seems to be the one game I, I get a lot of phone calls for. Um, yeah, when it, they show it on SNY or whatever, and uh, yeah, just um, you know, I kind of always go back to that. You know, like we talked about earlier, that that game in uh, in Chicago where the one game playoff and. Uh, I learned a lot that game as far as, you know, being mentally prepared for big-time games like that, and I just kind of carried that into that game. I I wanted to be the guy with the ball, you know, with the game on the line or or to to clinch or, you know, move us along. And, uh, you know, I was really locked in. Me and Mike were just locked in that game. And, I mean, we know what happened. It was six and a third. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I didn't, you know, go any deeper. But, uh, I mean, that was... God, yeah, that was just um, one of those in the top five, top six games, I think, in my career. Yeah, rightfully so, too, Steve. Steve Traxel with us tonight. Uh, I always tell guys who are involved in one or two of these things, either uh, you're on The Simpsons or if you get a bobblehead made of you, <laughs> you've made it. Now, you weren't on The Simpsons, Steve, but you have a bobblehead. I have a bobblehead, yeah. Right. Um, my, understand, <laughs> my understanding of it is, is it's an extremely limited bobblehead. Um, i got to give credit. I think Al Leiter was probably mo- most behind it, more than the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I guess my understanding was they, they gave it away to, like, one row or one section or is something. Is that right? Uh, I'm going to have to check eBay when I get home, Steve, uh, much to my wife's chagrin because she thinks I have too many of these things. So uh, I'm, well, I'm going to have to check. I can help you out there. So, uh, you know, I've been going down to the Mets Fantasy Camp uh, for a number of years now, and we have an avid collector down there 
who I believe he just paid twenty seven hundred dollars for one of my bobbleheads. Oh no! Yeah, so they do. Uh, we do a kangaroo court down there. We raise a bunch of money for charity, and uh, yeah, so I I brought one of the bobbleheads down, and uh, he he paid twenty seven hundred dollars for this. Wow! Thing, so. <laughs> There's a fan for you, Steve, right there, man. Yeah, he he told me that he could turn around and sell it on eBay for more, right right there. But <laughs> it was going in his collection, so I, I don't. I, I guess I don't understand the. The bobblehead collector's market very well. <laughs> oh yeah, Probably a lot like that old Beanie Baby one. <laughs> it, it, you're exactly right. You're exact. I mean, to some people, they wouldn't give you a dime for it, but for other people, you know, it's like one man's ceiling is another man's floor. Uh, I tell you what, they give one away, and you have a bad game. There's always a bunch of them in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Oh man. Now, Steve, looking back. Uh, if there's anything you could have done differently, what would you have done? Oh man! Uh, I mean, there's a, I mean, you can, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, going back early in my career, uh, especially after going through arbitration, I just remember trying to instead of just pitching like I always pitch, I would try. To, I tried to pitch to the raise I got after being an all-star. Mm-hmm. I tried. You know, it was basically a ten times raise. I would try to be ten times the pitcher, which is pretty much impossible <laughs> yeah so if i had just been able to mentally stay the same pitcher and not try to do more than i was capable of doing i think i probably would have had you know some better years in chicago um if there was some way for me to have prepared mentally for the media in new york which pretty difficult to do i think but if i if there was a way to have been able to do that um that would have been great um, that's a tough one, Steve. Yeah, yeah that's a real difficult one. Um, yeah, just from a personal standpoint, I wish I would have got a lot more items signed, like memorabilia stuff. Of, <laughs> yeah, of the guys I played with, and uh, you know, just for my own purpose, just to save you know myself. Um, I don't really have a lot of stuff, unfortunately, um, and I wish I had, had gotten more of that. Yeah, unfortunately, I do, Steve. I don't yeah. have any of your stuff. But I have, you know, again, much to my wife's chagrin. Uh, <laughs> I do have a good collection at home, but uh, I hear you about uh, saving stuff. Now, what about getting back in the game? Uh, what keeps you busy these days, and have you ever had a desire to get back in? Um, early on, after I retired, I, t- I talked about it. Um, actually, at one point, Omar Minaya had offered me um, the pitching gig in Brooklyn. Ah, okay. Uh, but my my two oldest kids were uh, were real young at that point. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Japan after after uh, Baltimore as well. But I just you know at the time I didn't want to you know make my kids fly fourteen hours to come out and see me. So um, same thought kind of went into to, to Brooklyn. I mean I live in San Diego. You know Brooklyn was a long way. My kids were young. I didn't want to do that to them anymore. So I wanted to be home and spend some time with them. Now um I'm got two new ones i've got a two and a half year old and, a, and an eight month eight month old so wow look at you again. yeah <laughs> yeah so uh yeah i'm changing diapers and you know putting kids to bed and uh just uh that's keeping me super busy you know hopefully uh all this covid stuff will go away and we can uh hopefully maybe do some travel you know which is another thing i'd like to do with the family but um yeah Baseball games and hockey games would be great, too. <laughs> yes, you're exactly right, Steve. Uh, hopefully we get to see some baseball this summer. Hopefully these guys will get everything wrapped up and uh, we can see Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom uh, leading the, the parade out there at City Field. 
Yeah, I need to see Jacob DeGrom live. I haven't seen him pitch live yet. That's, that is a, on my short list in New York. Yeah, there, there, there's a good goal for you, definitely. Well, Steve Traxel, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend some with us back up here in New York. And I hope uh, you're going to the airport that you have a perfect pickup. Oh, appreciate that, Bill. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, be, be, be happy to be on again anytime you want. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. All the best. You too. Thank you. That's Steve Traxel, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we'll talk with an ABA champion with the New York Nets, Brian Taylor. Stick around, folks. to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBB Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, folks, we are back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB. Uh, how do you like the progress that uh, Commissioner Manfred is taking towards ending this lockout? Uh, the, there is no progress, folks. That's why I'm bringing it up to, to see uh, what you guys think. Um, we only hope that th- this will end and uh, pitchers and catchers, I guess they're about a month away from reporting, so hopefully this will be over and uh, get it taken care of. Uh, the Hall of Fame vote coming up on January 25th. Uh, we hope we'll see an induction weekend in Cooperstown this summer. But right now, we will carry on. Our next guest, he was a guard from Princeton who played professionally for the New York Nets, of course, of the ABA and the Kansas City Kings, Denver Nuggets, San Diego Clippers of the NBA. He was a two-time ABA All-Star, ABA Rookie of the Year, and, of course, two-time ABA champion with the Nets. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show tonight Brian Taylor. Brian, good evening. Good evening. How are you? Oh, it's great to have you with us, Brian. Oh, it's great to, to hear your voice in 2022. Uh, I appreciate the invitation to speak with you. Oh, it's a, it's been 10 years since we spoke, Brian. I think it's, it's high time that we, uh, we get back on, on the air here. <laughs> wow. 10 years ago, how time flies. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. I hear you. Now, now, I'm just happy to still be here, healthy and, and wise. <laughs> right. I heard, we're still here, Brian. Exactly. Thank the Lord. Now, you, you grew up in New Jersey, Perth Amboy to be exact. Who were your teams and favorite players when you were a kid? Of course, I love I baseball. I love baseball. Wow, okay. Baseball was my, baseball was my first love. I, I, mean, I get to basketball, but 
baseball is my first love, and, and I love you know the Yankees with Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris. And I had uh, Gil McDougal's um, mitt for shortstop and being an infielder. Uh-huh. Austin Howard, uh, those teams. I love those teams. But basketball, I was Oscar Oscar Robinson, man. And yeah. Uh, Walt Frazier, those two were, you know, guys that I, that I really love watching play. I was talking to a gentleman uh, the other day about uh, Oscar Robertson's high school career. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, Brian, but he attended uh, an all-black high school in Indianapolis called Christmas Attics High School. Now, And, yes. and these guys yes. were the first all-black team to win a national championship in high school, and and uh, the, I believe that they do. They they have a, a Showtime special. It's called something to cheer about. Folks should check that out. It's oh, about yeah, yeah it's about the Big O and his high school career, and uh, or it's really a great story. But I, I I digress here, Brian. Now that's okay. That's awesome. Oscar's my man. Yeah, it, it it's a good program okay. and. Uh, Christmas Addicts High School, still going strong out there in Indianapolis. And now, that's, that's amazing, yeah. That's, that's yep. great history there, Bill. Great history, Bill. Yes, sir. Now, you were a 6'2 guard. You played at Princeton, as we said. How was life at Princeton back in your day, Brian? For me, it was an exciting time. They had just built uh, Jazz and Jim. I think my... My sophomore year was probably the second year of his existence. They um, you know, have avid basketball uh, fans. Right. It's, you know, so much fun, so much fun to play on the Pete Carrill and learn from Don Hummer and my man uh, Jeff Petrie. I was a freshman when those guys were seniors, and they were playing at a very high level. So basketball-wise, I couldn't be at a better place. And, of course, educationally, of course, being challenged and, and just learning so much at, at the Liberal Arts University, uh, you know, Princeton University, was, was an amazing opportunity. Oh, definitely. I, I couldn't imagine uh, any better than Princeton, Brian, that's for sure. Now, you were yeah. selected by the Supersonics. People may not uh, remember there was a team in Seattle called the Supersonics back the in the Supersonics, day. Supersonics, yeah. Yes. Now, now you chose to go to the ABA, Brian. Why was that? Oh, I love you know I love all the great coaches. Okay. So you know Louis Carnesecca was the, the the man that recruited me. Ah, okay. Happy, happy birthday to Coach Carnesecca. He already just turned ninety-seven. Wow. And so uh, he recruited me. They uh, extended themselves to me my junior year uh, with, of course, the, the late um, Mr. Ball, Ball mm-hmm. Roy Ball, right. the owner of the, of the Nets. Uh, those guys were really, really interested in me coming to the Nets uh, after my junior year, after watching Rick Barry the year before when they played for the championship against Indiana. I attended a couple of those games, and I was really, really excited about that atmosphere. And so to have the opportunity to play after my junior year with the Nets was just 
you know, just a wonderful opportunity that I couldn't turn down. So I was excited to do that and play uh, under Coach Karnaseka for at least one year. And then the, the following year, we had the the, uh, the great coach, uh, uh, you know, Murph came in and was a great coach for us. Uh, right. Everyone knows about the Murph, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, now, now, we're speaking with Brian Taylor tonight. Uh, the Nassau Coliseum, it was brand new back then, Brian, and, and of course, oh, yeah. you guys shared it with the Islanders, and, and I believe I, I had sent you the regards from Bobby Nystrom. How, how did you, how did you get along with the Islander guys, and who were some of your buddies from, in, in the hockey world? Yeah, yeah, so, you know, Bob was, was a great guy that I always reached out to, um, and of course, some of the other famous guys, I, I, you know, I got a brain lock on their, their names down, but they were, they were, you know, at the top of their game and sure. all stars. And you just had a great relationship, Sharon. You know, Sharon, Sharon Nassau Coliseum. Of course, they filled it up more than we were able to, except for when we went to the uh, the championship series. But uh, a little bit of envy there, but we still got along. <laughs> no, oh, it's like that. You realize how much people loved uh, hockey, like I did. Uh-huh. Uh, so they, oh, going to those those games, they were really amazing and exciting to watch. You know, Bobby and, and his, you know his teammates, and of course, we were trying to just to keep up with them. Now, <laughs> we we were talking also, Brian. For people that may not remember, for the kids, there was a place across the street on Hempstead Turnpike called the Salty Dog. Back in the dog. day, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ama- yeah ama- amazing place. Uh, yeah. You know, the food, the food was great, of course. The, the, ap- the after-game parties were amazing as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the Whopper owned that place, Bill, Billy Pauls. Yes, that's right. My great teammate, uh, Billy Pauls, was, uh, was a part owner with a couple of other guys. And it, was just, it was just a fun place to be at after, especially uh, where... After a victory. Or, or right. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, we, yeah, you spoke yeah. a little bit earlier about Roy Bow. I know his wife designed those classic Nets uniforms that you guys wore. Tell us a little bit about Roy Bow. Roy Bow was, was uh, you know, really a visionary. Mm-hmm. And a very, very um, smart man. Of, you know, education was, you know, Ivy League background. <laughs> also very, you know, even though he, people criticize him for the Dr. J deal. Yeah. I thought he was really, really, um, excited to build something for, for Long Island with the Nets and, and of course the Islanders. So and to me, he was a, a great visionary, very, um, upbeat personality. Fun guy to be, you know, fun guy to be around, and I, I appreciate him giving me the opportunity to be a net for four years. How about about your great coach Kevin Lockery? Yeah, that's I said. Of course, I mentioned him before that we call him Murph. Yeah, uh, that was his <laughs> nickname. You know, Coach Carnesecca is also known, AKA is Murph. The great Kevin Lockery is young. Uh, of course, we were younger. But when he got the opportunity to to coach us, it was you know Murph was a young guy, yeah, and he had so so much enthusiasm, 
and uh, this uh, upbeat coach who had so much inspiration and he really believed in us and just had a few just had a few rules it's a team unity mostly being on time and respecting each other and playing the right way and uh, really emphasizing for guys to understand the roles that they had to play in order for us to be a winning team of course with the great Dr. J it made it a lot easier but we still all had to uh, play together um there were a lot of guys who were offensive minded, you know, you had the great Super John, the late Super John, and mm-hmm. a lot of Keenan on that great team we had. Uh, those guys could score with anybody. And so with Doc and then also the Whopper in the middle, that's a lot of offensive firepower. Sure is. So it took a great coach like, um, Kevin and also uh, Rod Thorne, the first year, our first championship, to emphasize uh, um, team basketball, and that was what was so wonderful about us. Any given night, the guys, a couple guys can get in the twenties, and then, but the same token, uh, we had to understand we had to rebound the ball and play tough defense as well. So, you know, we really were a wonderful team, and just to think about the memories of those days really keeps me excited. Those were the days, Brian, that the coaches like uh, Kevin, Larry Brown, Slick Leonard would have the, the wild uh, plaid suits on with the bell bottoms, and <laughs> right? And, hey, uh, don't for, hey, Bill, don't forget we had those uh, those little clock shoes too. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine Artis Gilmore at seven two, all of a sudden being seven four when he put his clogs <laughs> <Yeah>. on? <laughs> I tell you a funny story about Artis Brian. Uh, my dad took me to the Island Garden where the Nets played before they moved to the Coliseum. So we were standing online at the concessions. So I turn around and all I see is fur. I'm saying, "Where? What is this?" And I look up and it's it's the A train. <laughs> there he is in his fur coat, looking way up. Yeah, oh, I said, "Holy mackerel, Dad!" Humongous. <laughs> what a force! Yeah, a force. and and that's what made the ABA great was players like that. Players like yeah. the Iceman. Um, yeah, Iceman, amazing. And then you had the Floridian Ball Girls, which didn't hurt at all, right, Brian? <laughs> I missed I miss that. I missed that. You know? <laughs> oh man! Uh, and and uh, the, what uh, kid? What kid didn't like the three-point shot? And of course, the red, white, and blue ball. If anybody had one of those in the playground, you were a hit because you you, you got know. to play with the red, white, and blue ball, and the, the, we loved it as kids. I know, I know. They were so popular. I'm still mad at my brother and my cousin for just playing with them on the playground, realizing, hey, hey, today that's great value. You ruined great value. Oh, yeah. You, if you find one of those on eBay for, for mint condition, Brian, they go for big bucks. So the, with Mike Storen's name on it or Dave DeBusher's name on it, forget about it. Very valuable. I know. Well, I'm I'm on the board of Dropping Dimes Foundation. Oh yeah, and, uh, right. Dropping Dimes. Yeah, I have some, I have some replicas of those. And so I, I don't know how many fans listening to our conversation, but if you have interest in the ABA basketball and you know what Dropping Dimes stands for, that's 
That's true. Uh, yes. Grab one of those balls for your keepsake. <laughs> I think they're they're only a hundred dollars, and it, it's okay. a worthwhile investment, and it's a beautiful basketball because it's an yeah, exact it's replica of the old ABA balls. It, uh, yes, yes, it, yes. They, they really are great. Brian is right. Dropping Dimes <laughs> Foundation. Look that up, folks, and head over there. Now, I want to talk to you about Mr. K. Now, I've been trying to get this guy on the program for years. Finally, uh, we got in touch with him through George Gervin because they, yeah. they both played on the San Antonio Spurs. Now, yeah, we were unfortunately to lose him to San Antonio. Right. Now, yeah. now, uh, he, he seems to be, to me, Brian, a very private guy. He, he, uh, respectfully declined to come on the program, but at least I got in touch with him to say that I tried. But, uh, he, he is one elusive guy that, that I've, I've wanted for years. I've had, <laughs> I've had Billy Paltz. I've even had the doctor on the program. And, uh. Yeah, yeah, great guys. Oh, yeah. You know, and, you gotta remember with Mr. K, you gotta remember he was traded to Texas. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and so he, he may not feel as home as I, he may not feel as home as I do. That's or true. Doctor, you know. <laughs> but he, he's another guy like yourself who went on to have a good, good, uh, NBA career as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's, he was quite a force in the NBA for the first, you know, the first years after the merger and, in 76, you know, in 76, he's, uh, you know, just an amazing all-around player. Just, you just, just think about that team with Doc on one wing and Mr. K on the other wing. Larry, right? Yeah, no, I... In the middle and, you know, Bill Malfioni, you know, leading the way with us. And like you say, Super John, yeah. Mike, you know, the late Mike Gale, you know, I just, and you know, I really feel blessed just to be, you know, be alive, well and alive. And I think about those teams because, you know, we lost Wendell. Of course, Super Superjohns no longer. Right. Uh, rest in peace. And, and the guys that we lost, you know, you just, you, you feel blessed that he's still here. And, uh, they're always in my heart. You know? Right. But the special, you know, the special teammates that, uh, and we lost way too young. Definitely, and and for those folks looking for an excellent book to read on the ABA, there's Terry Pluto's Loose Balls, which is really a tremendous book, really brings home the ABA in a great light, and uh, all, all the great superstars from Jumpin' Joe Caldwell, George McGinnis, all those guys. Now, I wanted to ask you, Brian, is there somebody in the pros or before the pros who had an influence on your career? Yeah, I would say... Early, as I mentioned, who I looked up to was Oscar, you know, Oscar Robertson. Right. I was a, I was fortunate enough to get to, to meet him when I was in high school, went to a couple of his camps, and also Bill Bradley. A fellow and, Princetonian, and, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, former Senator Bill Bradley, uh, great influence on my career. And this is the Friends of Princeton basketball, pretty much. As I got into the college, the great coach um, Pete Carrell, right, unbelievable influence on the way I, uh, the way I played. 
He's all all around emphasizing defense first, mm-hmm. and just making your teammates better. How did you find the game in the NBA, Brian, different from the the uh, run and gun in the in the ABA? You know, it's very interesting, Bill, in that we were all so excited to finally get the opportunity. Those guys who made it over to get the opportunity to prove ourselves and. I used to laugh because their NBA game was more half-court, and I played with Kansas City, a great coach in Kansas City, who believed in a half-court game, uh, Phil Johnson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of a lot of movement, not so much movement, but a lot of uh, slow-developing plays where you get a guy open for one of the favorite shots. But that was an adjustment because I was used to – Getting the ball from Doc or Kay or Whopper went on, big man, and let's go. It's our fast break. So our fast break style really, I think, changed the game in the NBA. Uh, so that was, for me, the challenge to be able to just to have the patience to quarterback, as a quarterback, as a playmaker, to, to run a Phil Johnson offense versus, uh, uh, let's say, uh, Kevin Lockery offense where he emphasized, you know, get the ball off the court as quickly as possible. You know, looking to get dunks and that type of Star Wars and NBA, you're not going to fast break unless you really have, uh, you know, some steals that are going to give you the opportunity to get easy buckets. And so it was, it was exciting and it was so much a challenge to be able to come into the NBA and prove yourself. For sure. Yeah. Now, was there a player, Brian, that you didn't like to face in, in the ABA or the NBA? One guy well, that when you saw him, you were like, oh, man. <laughs> there were a lot of guys like that in the ABA and, and, and the NBA. And, uh, you know, I don't want to slight anybody, but I would say that in the ABA, it, this is a great story, and i take a minute to share. Sure. The guy was, to, to me, to, the great backcourt with the Utah Stars, with uh, Jimmy jo- Jimmy Jimmy Jones and Ron Boone, mm-hmm. tough guys. And of course, with Ron, I you know I was assigned to, to try to slow Ron down, and I was I was aggressive. You know, I played that all over your defense. And he got he got upset with me one game, and he uh, punched and knocked a couple of my teeth out. Ooh. <laughs> oh boy! It's, and yeah, and so interesting. We go. This is the championship series, so you know we wind up winning two at home, and then we're going back out to Utah. And the next morning, I go get fixed up by the dentist. I you know, get a couple of caps, and I'm good. I'm ready to go. You know, two days later, but unbelievable. Ron can't play because his uh, hand that he punched me with got infected. <laughs> <laughs> And he he couldn't he couldn't play. So <laughs> justice the, was served, Brian. Right. But the more <laughs> the moral of the story is that that was just a tough way we played off the court. We were good because two years later he wound up being my backcourt partner with the Kansas City Kings, and we were we were great together. Look at that! <laughs> yeah, great story, Brian. Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. And then of course, see, how am I? I'm six two. I got to guard. Uh, David Thompson, you know, 
DT. He's six four, but he jumped like he was seven foot. You know, <laughs> right? The and great he, David uh, how am I Thompson. Guard George Gervin. George Gervin is six seven, and James Silas. You know, and even Matt Calvin with his speed. And Matt Calvin, man, yeah, definitely. The speed of Matt. I remember my, you know, my rookie year, my sophomore. Just man. I'm going to have to work real hard tonight just to stay in front of that speed. And then with James Silas, me and you know mid-range master, uh, he and <laughs> he and George Gervin were a tremendous backcourt. The Iceman cometh, uh, yes, that's for yes, sure. Uh, but Super John and I, we we held on. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah, much to the credit to you two guys, definitely. Brian Taylor's our guest tonight. What's the most memorable moment in your great career, Brian? Oh, uh, one moment in my great career? Is, yeah. Boy, yeah, that's ten years, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> I would say my net moment is just, is just extraordinary time. Mm -hmm. Probably when we came back from 22 to beat to beat the Denver Nuggets in the '76 championship. Good, Either good we choice. Underdogs. Yeah. yeah, we were under, we were underdogs, and we never we lost so many games out of Denver. We won that first game out when Doc killed him at the buzzer with the jumper from the corner, and we you know we danced off the court, and we, man, we got the first one at Denver, and. You know, we were able to uh, hold home court after that, but it was difficult because we were down that sixth game. No, we didn't want to go back to Denver because it would be tough to beat them again. And we, we put it all out on the floor, and we came back and won that game. So those those times, those moments were incredible. Just, in, just seeing it now, it's amazing on YouTube you can see it. Where we're celebrating that that sixth game, we, we probably have more people who've seen those highlights now than when it actually happened. Then they were, in, yeah, the, they were at the game. You're right, Brian. Uh, that's true. <laughs> what, what's keeping Brian Taylor busy these days after his stellar career? What are you up to these well, days, Brian? Well, you know, I I've been involved in education for know, over twenty twenty something years. True, probably twenty five years as a Admit as an administrator and the founder of charter schools and such. And I'm not running schools, but I'm doing consulting work, working on a couple of initiatives, educational initiatives, focusing on helping young people uh, get to college, excel at college, working on it, the Brian Taylor Leadership Institute, which is my mission is to uh, help young people um, become great leaders and good citizens. And so I have, you know, I've developed a curriculum in education over the years. And so I use my curriculum to, uh, to work with um, several different, different schools around the country. So that's what's keeping me busy. My educational initiatives, uh, using my educational background, both as a Princeton grad and an administrator. Mm -hmm. Well, that's certainly admirable, Brian Taylor. It's been a pleasure having you with us tonight. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to be with us back here on the island. Well, thanks for keeping the you know the Mets the Mets love alive, and uh, of course, thank you for your consideration of me.
That is no problem, Brian. You are welcome. That's your guest. Stay well, Brian, and thanks again. Nice talking to you, Bill, and best to all the fans. Okay, let's go Nets. <laughs> yes, Brian Taylor, Alrighty, folks. Well, that'll right, do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Steve Traxel and Brian Taylor, my engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you guys for joining us. Andy's up next on Sports Talk New York, so stay put. See you next on January 23rd when we'll be joined by former Net Turk Wendell. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.